we've been talking about identity. And um, I, I hope, you know, you've been encouraged to just look at who are you in Jesus, looking at our identity as a son or a daughter, looking at, um, you know, the things that he's called us to. We talked about declaring the I am, which is we declare that we are in conjunction with God. So when we go anywhere that we go, when you declare the I am, he is there with you, a part of you, as you move into those different things that we're doing. Um, Bruce Billington has been talking about sonship, what it is to be a son, what it is to be a daughter. Um, I'm so challenged by some of those things. I think sometimes it's really hard to just sit and rest in the knowledge that we're accepted just as we are. We're just, we're accepted regardless if you have a degree or if you don't have a degree, if you're rich or you're poor, if you have a huge amount of faith, if you have a small amount of faith, you're accepted just as you are as a son or a daughter. And I think it can be so easy. You know, you can have the head knowledge of something. But getting the heart knowledge of something, you know your father. You know, you know, I was thinking this morning as I was praying, I thought I remembered back to a time when I was in worship. And, and it was just a time there wasn't a whole lot going on. And I was on my knees. And it was the first time that I think I felt the father's love. When it was such a quiet, precious time. But then I, re- I felt God come in and he just said, I, I just felt, you know, his arms kind of come over me and hug me. And it's really different knowing the Father is someone that you can be in his arms. And, and I've, like all of us, we've had different, you know, relationships with our dads, some good, some, you know, some bad. But knowing him, the Father, and what it actually means to be his. And Bruce was talking about the inheritance that we have in him, which, I mean, it's hard to get your head wrapped around because he's the king of this. Uh, he's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And yet he's our dad. He's, he's majestic, and yet he's intimate and personal with us as well. He's accessible to us. So I, that gets me excited. But I wanted to share a story with you. I find stories are helpful even for me to kind of try and remember things. But specifically about my little boy, Archer, he's my favorite topic because um, that's all I do. I just spend time with him and play two-year-old games all day, every day. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, what it is for a son and a father, and I've learned so much about the father through having my own kids, and I'm sure you all have as well, what it is, you know, to, to catch the heart of Father God, not just catch the actions that he does, not just go through the motions to, to think about, the, you know, even the Sunday morning service. Well, it's wonderful. We're after him, the person of Jesus, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I just wanted to share a story, and the story was um, about when my son was born. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have, you know, a lot of you have had kids yourself, but if you could just think back to uh, a recent time when maybe a loved one was born, if it's your son, it's your daughter, if it's a grandchild, if it's a, a nephew or niece. Um, but I, I remember it so vividly, and I purposefully avoided things like that. I didn't want to know about things like that. You know, I, I know it's, it's a wonderful thing, but it didn't have anything to do with me. I didn't want to sign up for any of that kind of stuff because um, it's, it's quite a process, you know, when, when a woman gives birth, and it was quite scary to me. But I was so excited. I remember the night when Angie um, went into labor, and, um, and I asked her permission to share the story, so she's fine. Um, but I remember the night, it was our anniversary, we'd had a really, really nice dinner, and we went to a, a really nice dessert place, and they had the chocolate, you know, dipping sauce, and it, I just remember it vividly, and we went home, and probably an hour after we went to sleep, Angie's water broke, and, uh, and immediately, I was like, I've seen the TV shows, you have about one commercial break to get to the hospital, because it is go time. You know, and so I was like, here we go. I, I was so excited. I jumped out of bed. We had the little bag packed. We rushed to the car. We, we, we didn't speed, but we raced to the hospital, you know. And I literally parked outside the hospital doors 
and left the car there. I said, we're going. Your water's broken. You know, we're going to go tell somebody that's official and say, the baby's coming right now. And, uh, and one of the reasons I was so excited about the baby coming and just because I was almost done. I, we'd almost made it to the end of the journey because my wife had had quite a hard pregnancy. Um, she, she was, I, I don't, I don't want to gross you out, but she was sick many, many times a day. We, we christened many a parking lot. I got very good at pulling over quickly, and she got very good at, you know, jumping out quickly. And, um, and there's many parking lots that have um, Angie's mark on them. And uh, it got so bad that she was hospitalized a couple of times. Um, so, you know, dehydration. I know it happens. It's, she's not the only one that it happens to. But it even got so bad that she had to have an in-home IV. So she was at home, hooked up to the IV, and she couldn't take any kind of pills. She had to... You know, there's a little pack that she carried, and you had to, like, stab. It's not a huge stab, but stab yourself with a little thing, and it puts the medicine in you. And um, it was intense, you know. And for me, this was, you know, first pregnancy. This was like, oh, my goodness. This is, this, is a, a, this is a tough ordeal. So you can imagine how excited I was by the time the baby was finally here. And then coupled with that was just my, you know, not trepidation, but just, man, you, you want your wife to be okay. You want your baby boy to be okay. And so I was so excited that we're almost done. And I was committed to putting every single thing that I had into that process. So um, we got there probably about 1230 at night. And, um, and after they calmed me down a little bit and said, the baby's not coming this second. And I said, okay. So they made me go park my car. And I, but I, I raced down there and I raced back up. I still didn't believe him. I said, I, you know, I don't, I've seen the movies, you know. Um, and so I raced back, I got my car there and, and I came back and I was like literally there on standby. You know, I, there's not a lot that a, I, I mean, maybe I could be proven wrong, but there's not a lot that a guy can do in that circumstance other than just smile a lot, you know, and just be happy. And if, and if she tells me not to smile and be mad, I'll be mad with her, you know, whatever is needed. And so I was doing my very best and throwing absolutely everything I had into the process. Cause I was like, we are almost done. You know, thank you, Jesus. Um, and so we eventually... Um, you know, hours started ticking by, and Angie kind of drifted in and out of sleep, and eventually she got an epidural for Archer's pregnancy. Um, Bennett just kind of jumped out himself. Um, but for Archer's, it was, it was like just, it was a lot longer process, and the hours ticked by, and so we didn't get any sleep. And I was there waiting and ready. I'm like, something's going to happen, and nothing really ever happened. Um, and so her mom joined us at about 5 in the morning. Her sister joined us at 9 in the morning. And so um, Archer finally arrived at about 4 in the afternoon. And I mean, and that was after a couple of final traumatic hours as well. So, I mean, I was just like, we pushed through the last couple hours that, that weren't just comfortable. And, yeah, it was just, it was intense. And so we finally got to the end. And I was, oh, man, we made it. And I first, Archer was born, and, and I was just bawling. And, you know, it, it, there was people were crying. And, and I always feel a little bit judged by the doctors and nurses that were in there. And, I, you know, I'm just, don't judge me. You know, I just was kind of crying. In, but it's, it's a miracle. And I'd say to anyone that, I mean, it's an absolute miracle. I don't have to see a different kind of miracle of, of an arm growing back or anything like that because I've witnessed this beautiful thing of new life coming into the world. But um, I was so happy that we'd come to the end. And um, I eventually, I made sure Angie was okay. And she was okay and just things were fine. And they were just, you know, taking care of everybody. They went to clean Archer and I finally went and held him. And I was like, okay, we did it. You know, and I was like, man, we're there. But I had some things to find out because we weren't done. It was literally just the start. And uh, so that night, 
the air conditioning unit froze in our room, in the hospital room, and it was right over where I was sleeping on the couch because I wanted to be there and try and support them. So I didn't really sleep that night at all either. And then Archer started coughing up blood. Like, and he's okay, but he just started coughing up a lot of blood. And I said, this is not what I signed up for in regards to knowing what I was supposed to be doing or dealing with. Um, Needless to say, that was just the start of my introduction to saying that not only was Angie giving birth not the end, it was like barely the beginning. So I, I heard this and I thought it was so funny because Archer fits the bill so much. There was a guy who said that his, his son or daughter was allergic to sleep. Uh, Archer is allergic to sleep, and not just for the first three months. You know how, like, the experts or people that are smarter than I, they're saying, oh, your baby's going to sleep all the way through, uh, like, by the time they're three months. You just got to do the right cycles and, you know, flip over here and, you know, turn the blanket clockwise six times before you put them down. Um, now, Archer didn't sleep for two, month, two years, so I want to find the people that, that say that it works like that and, you know, wish them well. Um, because, yeah... But sleepless nights mean something completely different to me. Because when somebody, you know, when parents try and tell you beforehand, like, you're going to have sleepless nights and uh, raising kids is no small deal, you're like, yeah, I was a kid. I went through that. I was fine, you know. But needless to say, my focus had gotten so zeroed in on Angie giving birth and, and Angie being okay. By the time that it came to take care of this, this little boy who was so helpless, I wasn't emotionally prepared. I wasn't spiritually prepared. I wasn't physically prepared. I hadn't slept for 48 hours. I, there was things that I would have done differently had my focus been a little bit further out and seeing what was the main thing that we're supposed to be doing. What is the, what is the main thing that you're supposed to focus on? And now I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't focus on your wife and making sure that everything's okay. But our focus had gotten so zeroed in on because she'd been so sick and we'd been so focused on her being okay through the process, that I'd really, you know, kind of put myself in a place where I wasn't prepared, um, you know, especially for sleep, um, to really handle it. And, and I even remember the next, the following day, he, they, were, they were worried about his jaundice. So they, they brought him in and were stabbing his foot and blood wouldn't come and he was crying and I'm, you know, wanting to hit something and just feeling so bad and helpless. But, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I want to look at this morning is where is our focus? Because it can be so easy for our focus to get locked into something that is part of the main thing or that might be just, uh, it might be a large part of the main thing, but just getting that perspective. And, that, and that's going to be Jesus. So we're just going to talk about Jesus this morning. And I hope, I hope that encourages you and, and just sets you on fire because there's no other name that we should lift up. There's no other name that should be exalted than the name of Jesus. So I just, I just wanted to share a couple of stories this morning from the Bible and, in regards to this topic that I hope will just open it up for us. As we, and I don't imagine that anything we're going to talk about this morning is going to be new or revelation, but I don't think we should ever stop or apologize for declaring the name of Jesus and for who he is. And when we're talking about identity, and we're making a shift this morning from identity to saying, who am I to who are we? And we're not going small picture, we're just saying big picture. Who are we? What are we defined by? What's the ultimate thing that we're defined by? And his name better be Jesus. Amen? So um, the first, uh, I think an analogy that hopefully describes what what we're wanting to do this morning is N.T. Wright. I, I love his analogies that he uses, but he talks about aspects of faith are like a um, like you're listening to a song and you want to turn different speakers higher or lower or you know you want to turn different aspects of the sound that you're hearing down and this this morning I hope that we can just turn up that that speaker 
that is the main thing, which is him. Amen? So Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, 4b. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He accepted at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I'm just going to touch on a couple of examples. We're not going to linger there for long. Cain had missed the main thing. His focus had gotten locked into his offering. He wasn't able to look past his offering to the person that he was offering it to. Um, this story struck me. Angie was the one that she, she was reading this passage, and she said, hey, I think this sounds like some of what you're looking at. And I said, I thought it illustrated it so well. Because Cain's focus was in what his brother was offering, and he was so worried about why is his offering accepted that he would. And, you know, you could look at it. If you give a gift to somebody, you shouldn't give a gift that you think they should have. You know, it's kind of like when the husbands get the wives, you know, an anniversary present that's like a lawnmower or something, you know. That's not for the wife, that's for the person. And I'm not suggesting that Cain did that. He'd missed more the heart of what it was about. So his gift was locked into, my offering should be acceptable to you, God, rather than saying, God, what is acceptable to you? And so Cain was locked into his offering, and he couldn't look past his offering. And I'm going to expand on that in a little bit. Um, Another one that I wanted to look at was the prodigal son. We're not going to read this story. But the prodigal son, he went away. We all know the story. He squandered his inheritance. He comes back and he says, maybe my dad's going to accept me as a servant. It's better to be a servant in my dad's house than eating food with the pigs. And so the mistake that he'd made, the focus that he'd made, is he thought that his works defined his status as a son. Be they good or be they bad, he thought that he was locked into what he had done prevented him from being a son. One of the things that I want to encourage you this morning, that regardless of what we do, if it's wonderful or if it's horrible, you're still accepted in the eyes of the Father. And that when you come back to him, he wants to put the ring of sonship on you. He wants to encourage you with open arms and say, welcome back, my son or my daughter. Oftentimes, it can almost be the opposite, that we think we're doing everything right so that we get to be even more accepted as a son than before. But I think one of the beautiful things is that Jesus accepts us regardless of who we are. But I think one of the main things that when we're looking at who we are, we can't be defined by what we do. We have to be defined by who the Father is. It's who He is that defines who we are. It's not what we do now then defines who we are. The final, the final little story I just wanted to share for this, this, this first kind of segment is uh, the story that you're all, I'm sure, very, very familiar with of Martha and Mary. Um, But I just want to read the passage if I can. So it's found in Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You know you're in trouble if God uses your name twice. You know, you know you're in trouble. I, when I hear, it's my, if my mom or my wife's Jesse, Jesse, I, you know, I know I'm in for it. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And I love this line. And I think, I hope it summarizes some of what we're going after this morning. Is but one thing is necessary. But one thing is necessary. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary, uh, sorry, Martha was focused on all sorts of things. She was troubled and anxious. She was distracted with much serving. But the, the one thing that is necessary that I hope that we're defined by more than anything else, so I don't want to, anything else that we do is not being diminished, but the thing that should increase is the fact that we should be identified by being at the feet of the Father. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. The good portion is to be sitting at the feet of the Father. And so as we're, as we're looking at this lens of who are we, we're just in this topic of identity, right? When, when you're looking at how are we defined and who are we de- defined, my hope is that we can just, just pause all of the other distractions. Pause our opinions on things. Pause the way that we think this should be done or that should be done. And this can be in your home lives, in, in work lives. Things don't go all the way. I mean, maybe they do for you. But things don't go the way they're planned or the way they're supposed to all the time. But one of the things that I hope that we can get to is this thing called rest. That Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But when we're, our identity is placed in him as, as a people, that when we get stuck at our offering and we think the way that we do our offering is more important and our focus loses and we start to become anxious and troubled about many things and we don't go past the offering to the person we're offering it to who gives peace that surpasses all understanding regardless of the circumstance. If we get distracted with much serving, this can be serving you know, your kids, this can be serving the church, this can be serving everywhere. Martha valued what she did for Jesus more than she valued spending time with the person of Jesus. She was distracted with much serving. I love this passage of scripture. Acts 17 verse 28 says this. In him we live and move and have our being. In him we live, we move and have our being. And it goes on to say, for we are indeed his offspring. There is not anything that we can do outside of him. Now we think we do things outside of him all the time. You know, I mean, it might be, hey, I've got my Jesus hat on now. And I'm trying my best. But sometimes when things aren't working, you you take your Jesus hat off. But the thing is, we're still inside of him. That every single thing that we do has to be defined by who we are in him. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He makes known to us the path of life. And I think that's what God is asking of us. I mean, and this is, I mean, the worldwide Christian population is that we find ourselves in him so that our troubles, our anxieties, our distractions actually are minimized by the light of his glory and his grace. There should, there should be a, a faith unshakable, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Regardless of what we have done, if we've got caught up in what we've done, if it's good or it's bad, regardless if we get caught up in the way that we offer, even to the Lord, where Cain couldn't look past his offering was the thing that he couldn't look past to who he was offering to. We look at who we are, we're not defined by what we do, by by who he is. And my hope this morning, more than anything, is that we can together continue fanning into flame the passion for his name. There is nothing else that I think could, that, that we could seek after more than who he is. Because who he is, I mean, he's, he's, he's equipped each of us to do different things, and so the body will look very different as how that's outworked. But above all, regardless of what we do, the passion has to be for his name. And we can't tire 
of saying, glory be to you, God. I want to see your face. I, you know, one of the prayers that I always pray is, God, I want to see a little bit more of your face every day. Just a little bit. I, I want us as a people to, to pursue the things of his life. Relationship is greater than works, and that's the whole point. Our offering, our service, our works, they're all reduced to what we contribute, and they don't actually have anything to do with who he is. And that's one of the things that I just hope you're encouraged this morning is to seek the person himself. Well, we shouldn't stop serving him. Well, we shouldn't stop offering things to him. Well, we shouldn't stop doing great works for him. What we should be doing is seeking after him, the person as well, and sitting at his feet, choosing the one necessary thing. And I think if anything summarizes what will happen is the amount of rest that will come. That regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what happens, regardless of the structure that we find ourselves in, we have rest and we have peace because we can trust in who he is. And the, the second major thing I wanted to talk on this morning was if we're talking about Jesus is the main thing, then what's the mission of Jesus? What, what is he all about? And I mean, we can unpack this in a million ways, and there's been a million great sermons on these kinds of things, but I hope this summarizes just a little bit of who he is, is that the mission of Jesus that takes place in his kingdom is that God wants to restore a broken world with his life. The reason why Jesus is so wonderful, and I, you know, I, I've even been challenged myself at different times of thinking, man, why, why, is, why is Jesus so great? In him we live, we move, and we have our being. There is nothing apart from him. He is the very source of life itself. So when we try and find life outside of him, it's actually not life, and it's a road to something else. In him we live, we move, and we have our very being. Our King Jesus has a mandate of bringing life and light to restore things that are broken, He is the very source of life, and there's no life outside of him. So as we're looking at who are we, you first recognize the importance of making him the main thing. And when looking at his mission, he says, I want to make things broken whole. And he doesn't do that through through the things that we're looking at, through good works and all those things. He does them with his life. And I hope that we can be a people that seek after his life. It's not clever teaching. It's not great home group studies. It's not even um, clever ways of evangelizing. It's actually his life that is the thing that transforms and connecting into his life. Um, I just want to touch really quickly. I'm going to go back to Martha and Mary, but I'll paraphrase, paraphrase it just for the sake of time. We have Martha saying, God, if you would have been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. You know, like, I picture like a what the heck, you know, kind of thing after that. Like, what the heck, God? You know, like, you could have been here. If you would have been here, you would have been, you, you could have saved him. And, uh, and I love her. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And he, these words here, I hope, resonate in our spirits and I hope percolate in our spirits throughout the weeks to come. That Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I want to take things that are dead and make them alive. I want to take things that are broken and make them whole. I want to take things that don't work and make them work to the fullness of how they're supposed to work. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm just going to skip ahead. And now Mary comes along. She says the same thing. God, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, it's the easiest Bible verse to remember because it's the shortest. Jesus wept. But I don't know if there's a more powerful verse to share of seeing our Lord weep for the circumstances of our pain and our suffering. 
His desire is to restore that which is broken, but it's not just like a philosophical response. It's not just saying, God's just not up there saying, I know the suffering that you're going through, and like, I'm sorry, that, that's horrible. But he, what, his response isn't just, come to me and I'll give you life. His response was to come down in the form of a man and to take on every single ounce of suffering that we've gone through, to take on every single ounce of shame we've been exposed to, to take all of our guilt, to take every single thing that we've walked through and that we've done. And he says, I'm going to experience all of that for myself. Dr. Chris Marshall was the one that shared that in the communion service, and it stuck with me. And I know it's kind of the basic premise of our uh, Christianity, if you will. But if you could think on that for a little bit to know that when he says he's the resurrection and the life, it's not like he's only providing the life side of it. He's also experienced our death side of it and the suffering and the pain that we've been exposed to and had to walk through. But he says he doesn't stop there, though. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He came to bring life. And I just... I get so excited when I hear that because sometimes we can reduce church to saying, you know, is it singing a couple of songs? Is it, is it going out on the street and telling somebody your faith? But it's every single aspect of our life is our walk with Jesus. This is a wonderful time that we can come together and lift up the name of Jesus together. But it's his life that we're after, not anything else. Hmm. His life restores that which is broken and makes all things new. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I may come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. When we're looking at who are we in this series, can we recognize, or my hope is that we can just come together in saying that we are partakers and sharers of his restoring life. We are partakers and sharers of his restoring life. May we be a people that exude the restoring life of Jesus. And the last, the last little point that we're going to be wrapping up here in a little bit is we are a people that express the kingdom of God in all aspects of life. This isn't a Sunday morning thing. This isn't even a Sunday in the cafe thing. This is in every single aspect of our life. I'd just like to read a brief excerpt from uh, Bruce Billington's book, Eternity Begins Now. He says, we are meant to bring what exists in the heavenly realm down to this planet. That is what Jesus meant when he told us to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In order to do this, not only do we have to know the spiritual side of his kingdom, but we also have to know how to apply that spiritual knowledge to the natural world. This begins with our everyday life, our families, our marriages, our vocations, our relationships. It then spreads into all other aspects of the world. So what this looks like is when we're expressing his life, when we're expressing the kingdom of God as a who are we, it's not just on a Sunday morning, but it's actually the mother that's changing diapers at home. We can get, I think we can get overwhelmed with the sense of what is the kingdom of God and this thing is so busy. The kingdom of God is simply where God rules and reigns and where his life is able to be expressed. And his life can be expressed when you're at home changing diapers. His life can be expressed when you come up and speak or you worship or you prophesy or do any of those things. But I think God's heart is that you would express his life in being gentle to your wife. I think that God's wanting you, you know, I picture the construction worker that works long days in the winter. He has an entire chance of expressing God's life each second and each hour of that day. It's the counselor. It's the person that's homeless. It's the person that has everything that can express his life. And that's what God's calling us to is to be expressors of his life in our everyday lives. To sit at the feet of Jesus is what he's calling us to. The one necessary thing, the good portion. When we sit in that place, we now can catch the heart of the king. 
And his heart is to restore this broken world with his life. Every aspect of your life. Your, your everyday life is now the canvas that you've been given to express his life. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. Jesus himself tells us the importance of making him the main thing, the main thing. And the second commandment he describes to us is to love your neighbor as yourself. So important. His heart is for his life and his love to restore brokenness. So as we're looking at who we are, can I just encourage you that we're not defined by what we do, but by who we are in him. I just want to close with the words from this, this final song. Um, and then I'll invite Bruce to see if you want to make your way on up. In my heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. In this phrase specifically, consume me from the inside out. Consume me from the inside out. Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Bless you this morning. May the passion of Jesus rise in your hearts. I just want to encourage you that let's make the main thing the main thing. As we focus on him, all those other things come into place. Amen? Bless you guys this morning.